to miss him today, but I hope you don't miss him too much, and I hope that I don't say something that makes him hear this later and regret asking me. So uh, I really do hope that what I say today is going to really speak to you, because it's something that I'm going to talk about today that's really been speaking. To me, it's something that I've been wrestling with and working through for the past really year, and after listening to several pastors preach on this topic, if you want to call it that, and really listening to the words of that song and really listening to different things. Um, Today, what I'm going to be talking about has to do with promises. Has to do with promises. And promises is something that each of us has in common. I mean, how many of you would say that I've ever made a promise to someone? Everybody. And how many of you would say someone's ever made a promise to you? Again, everyone would say that someone's either made a promise to me or I've made a promise to them. And then we could go a step further and you could probably also say that not only has someone made a promise to me or has I have I made a promise to them, but someone has broken a promise to me. Could we all say that too? Someone's either promised something to me and I've broken it or I've promised and I've broken it. That's what we all have in common is broken promises. And it's not always that we intend to break the promise. I mean, I remember, you know, you could probably all relate back to middle school, elementary school, high school, and you're like, yeah, we're going to be best friends forever, right? And then a month later, you haven't talked to them in a whole month, you know, and a year later, you haven't seen them in a year. And you're like, yeah, that promise is probably not going to stay the way I promise. It's probably going to be broken. Or maybe many of you have made a promise to your son or daughter, or as grandparents, you've made a promise to your grandchild, and you've been like, hey... Guess what? At the end of this year, we're going to take you to Disney World. But, unforeseen to you, mom, dad, grandma, granddad, you lose your job, something happens, and it's not financially possible to take them to Disney World. You have to what? You have to break that promise that you made. You didn't want to, you didn't mean to, but you can't do it. And sometimes, not only is that a promise that we break, but sometimes there are promises that we make And we can't fulfill them because circumstances outside of our control influenced our chances of fulfilling the promise. For example, maybe you've said, hey, son, daughter, Johnny, Jill, we're going to go outside this afternoon and we're going to throw ball. Or we're going to go shopping tonight. Or I'm going to take you to your favorite restaurant tonight. And a storm comes. You didn't know it was coming. The weather said it was going to be clear. But a storm comes and you can't go outside and play ball. You can't take them to that restaurant because the power went out and now the restaurant's closed. What do you do? You, you, you break the promise. And you don't mean to sometimes, but sometimes we do. And I know in my own personal life, just a couple months ago, I remember, this has never happened since. But uh, Rachel asked me to wash the dishes. And, um, and I was like, all right, I got you. I'll, I'll wash the dishes. And she had, we were having some people over for dinner that night, I think, and she said, I need to have some clean dishes so I can come home and cook and get this meal ready because I'm really proud of this meal. I want to make it good. And I want to have these dishes clean. And I was like, all right, I got you. Now, she looked at me and I said that. And she was like, now, I asked you yesterday to wash them and you didn't wash them. And I was like, I promise you got it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wash these dishes. And so I go upstairs and I'm studying all day and probably not all day, but a lot of the day. And I hear the door open and I'm like, oh, no. I forgot, I forgot to wash the dishes. I forgot to wash the dishes. So I run downstairs, I'm like, hey, how you doing? And I go in and I start washing the dishes. But the truth is, the truth still remains. What did I forget to do? I forgot 
to fulfill the promise. Sometimes we make promises and we can't keep them because they're out of our control, sometimes from unforeseen circumstances, and sometimes we just forget. Sometimes we just forget. Thank you. (laughs) But seriously, we know that we are unfaithful at times to fulfill promises. But the question is not, have we ever been unfaithful? But the question is, what happens when God makes a promise? If you look in your bulletin today, the title of today's message is, When God Makes a Promise, dot, dot, dot. What can we say when God makes a promise? What can we, with confidence, finish that sentence with? I put on Facebook and Twitter yesterday, I said, When God makes a promise, blank. And I was just asking people to finish the sentence. And I got a lot of good responses from people. And, it, and I got a lot of responses because it's something that we can all relate to. We can all relate to promises, right? And we can all relate to them being broken. And we can all relate to how we feel when someone breaks a promise. And what someone is called, a lot of times when they break a promise, they're called unfaithful. Yeah? And so we have to ask ourselves, the question is, God faithful when He makes a promise? When God makes a promise, what, what can we fill that blank with? What can we fill that blank with? So that's what we're going to be talking about today. When God makes a promise, blank. What can we put in that blank? And we're going to be looking at Genesis chapter 22. But before we get to Genesis chapter 22, I think it's important to look at some promises God has made before Genesis chapter 22. Because Genesis has become really one of my favorite books of the Bible. And there's a lot of promises in this book. And in the beginning of this book, in the beginning of the whole Bible, in the beginning of Genesis, we see creation. That God's made creation in Genesis 1 and 2 and that it's perfect. And it's the way that He intended it to be. But something happens in Genesis 3, just three chapters into the true story of the whole world. Something happens. Sin comes into the world. And it creates this barrier between God and man. They are no longer in this perfect relationship. There's a barrier. Sin has come in. And there is a problem. Sin creates this problem. But in Genesis 3.15, just a few verses after sin has come into the world, there's a promise that God makes. And He promises that the offspring of the woman would reverse the curse, would destroy sin, would end the problem of sin, would bridge that gap that sin created between God and man. There was a promise. Just three chapters into the book, God makes a promise. And so, from Genesis 3 on, we're looking for that line. We're looking for that son of the woman that's going to end the problem of sin. We're looking for it. And we get to Genesis 12 and we realize that, okay, the line that God is going to end the problem of sin is going to come through Abraham. And God makes a promise to Abraham and He says, I'm going to give you blessing and I'm going to give you a lot of descendants and I'm going to give you land. And He makes this promise. And we see that the line, okay, we followed it. It goes through some people and then boom, Genesis 12, we have Abraham. And we see that the promise is going to go through Abraham. A few chapters later in Genesis 15, God affirms that promise by making a covenant with Abraham. And God says, Abraham, you're old, but you're going to have a son. I'm going to give you a son. And Abraham's like... But I have this guy in my house. I'm like in my 80s. Am I really going to have a son? How is the line going to keep going through me? I have this guy that works with me. He's a relative. He stays in my house. Is is he going to be my offspring? Is he going to be the one the promise goes through? And God says, no. You're going to have a son. He makes a promise. 
He makes a promise. And, and why does it matter that we ask ourselves this question when God makes a promise blank? Because promises and the fulfillment of them give us a reason to or a reason not to trust in the character of who God is. And if God's not faithful to fulfill His promises, we, we can't trust Him. And so in Genesis 15, we see that God says, no, it won't be the heir of your house. It'll be a son. And Abraham's like, man, I'm like 80-some years old. My wife is getting up in age. How are we going to have a son? And so he does what many of us often do. We take things into our own hands, yeah? And so Sarah, his wife, comes to him and says, just get with your servant girl Hagar and have a baby with him. And so he does. And they have a son. And his name is Ishmael. Thirteen years go by and then God comes to Abraham and says, Abraham! And he says, yeah. And God says, it's not going to be Ishmael. And Abraham's like, what? I mean, I thought it was old 13 years ago. He's like, I promised that your son would come through Sarah. You and your wife, Sarah. That's where the son is going to come through. That's the promise I made. I'm going to fulfill it. And Abraham's like, okay. So, Abraham's 100, his wife's 90, and they have a son named Isaac. And that is where we are in Genesis chapter 22. And in Genesis chapter 22, we have all these promises that God has made. And we're going to read Genesis chapter 22, and we're going to see if God is going to be faithful to fulfill it or not. What is God going to do? Can God be trusted or not? So let's start reading in Genesis chapter 22. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here am I. He said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Now if you're reading this story and we've just walked through the promises God has made, we have to ask ourselves, what? Like, how can God say this? Take your one and only son? So, Ishmael, Abraham sent Ishmael and his mother Hagar away. This is literally his only son, Isaac. He has a son of promise. And God says, I want you to take your son and sacrifice him. And if we don't ask ourselves, God, how can you be doing this? How can you be saying this about Isaac? Then we're not reading the whole story, we're not seeing the connection of the promises. And so we have to be asking ourselves, God, how can you do this? How can you be asking Abraham to do this? So we keep reading. So Abraham rose in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And isn't it interesting that Abraham says in verse 5, Me and the boy will go over there and worship. So he saw this act of going to sacrifice Isaac as worship. Because worship is nothing more than what? Obeying what God has said. But then he also says something else that's pretty interesting that we need to see. He says to his two servants with the donkey, he says, and we will both come back to you. So Abraham knew. Abraham was confident in the promise of God. He said, I'm banking my life on this promise. He was confident that 
if he was going to have to go sacrifice Isaac, either God wouldn't make him go through with it, or God would raise him from the dead or something. He said, God's made a promise. He's got to be faithful. Yeah? And so we keep reading, and in verse 6 it says, And Abraham took the wood and the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son. And he took in the hand the fire and the knife, so they both went of them, both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, I love this, he said, My father! And he said, Here am I, my son. He said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Can you imagine Isaac, Abraham puts the wood, he gives him the fire, and he says, all right, let's carry this up to go sacrifice. And Isaac's like, I see the, I see the wood, I see the fire. Wait a second, we usually take a lamb with us when we go sacrifice. Where, what, what are we doing? Where is the sacrifice? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. And so Isaac's probably like, oh, okay, God will provide. All right, okay, good. Cool deal. So they went, both of them, together. And when they came to that place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And so here we go. Abraham just said, God will provide the lamb, God will provide the sacrifice. I was just like, okay, I'm carrying the wood, I'm carrying the fire. Okay, and then he gets tied up and put on top of the altar. He's like, okay, the lamb. Wait a second, I'm the, I'm the sacrifice? And you can imagine Isaac's like, what? No, I don't want to die. I don't want to die. And so we have here in verse 9a, b, c that is not in your Bibles. And it's probably not in mine, but I'm going to interject here and put what was really happening. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? Abraham is about to sacrifice his son. And Isaac is on the altar. And so Abraham's like, I don't want to do this. I believe that God said the promise is going to go through you. And he gets ready. And then Isaac's like, oh my gosh, please don't. And then Isaac's like, ah, ah. And he's like, you got this picture in your head. So Abraham reaches out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But, I love the butts in the Bible. You always know something good's about to happen when you see a butt. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here am I. And so Abraham's like, I'm so glad. Maybe I don't have to go through with this. And he said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place. The Lord will provide, as it is said to this day on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. And so we have this picture of Abraham and Isaac in this crazy event happening. About to sacrifice his son, Isaac's scared to death. Abraham doesn't want to do it because he thought the promise was coming through Isaac. He was promised he would have this son and that the line was going to go through him. That Genesis 3.15 would be fulfilled through the line of Isaac. That Isaac would have a son that eventually would have a son that would reverse the curse, that would put a problem, that would end the problem to sin. And God provides a lamb. And He doesn't make him sacrifice His Son. And the whole point of this is to show that, Abraham, do you trust in Me? Do you trust trust in the God of the promises? That I will be true to what I said. And that I am faithful all the time. Do you trust Me? And Abraham trusted Him and God did not make him 
Go through it and we read in verse 15 through 18. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you. And I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. So we have this reaffirmation of the promise. And if all we had was Genesis 22, if all we had of the Old Testament was Genesis 22, we could read this story and say, wow, the God that this is talking about is a God that when He makes a promise, He is faithful to fulfill it. Because that's the whole point of what I'm trying to say today, is that when God makes a promise, He is faithful to fulfill it. And we could read Genesis 22 and say, I see that. I see that. I believe that. I get that. But if we go back to Genesis 3.15, we see that the promise is going to go through Isaac. But Isaac didn't end the problem of sin. Isaac didn't bridge that gap between man and God. Isaac didn't make the relationship back to the way it was supposed to be and intended to be. So we can see in Genesis 22 and say, Yeah, God is faithful to fulfill His promise to Isaac, but what about that initial promise? What about 3.15? What can we say about the sin problem? The funny thing is, about two, three weeks ago, I was reading through this, and I read through it, I don't know, a lot of times. And I saw some things that absolutely blew my mind. Absolutely blew my mind. And I think that when a preacher sees something that he wants you to see, I think he should show you. And I think that if you see what is here in Genesis 22, it will absolutely change the way that you see the God of the promises. And it will absolutely change the way that you can have faith in the God who makes a promise. Because what we know is that when God makes a promise, He is faithful to fulfill it. Let's read back through Genesis 22 and see if the answer to the problem of sin in Genesis 3.15 is pointed to. Is there, are there some hints at who will end the problem of sin right here in Genesis 22? Is it there? Let's just, let's just read back through some of the verses in Genesis 22. And you tell me. You tell me if this is not pointing somewhere. Let's just take, for example, verse 2. Genesis 22, verse 2. He said, Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love. And go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering. And so I read this like a few weeks ago and I'm like, wait a second, wait a second, wait a second. second." Isn't isn't there a verse in the New Testament, John 3.16, that said, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. And I'm like, wait a second, I'm probably reading something into it. That's probably there on accident. That probably wasn't there on purpose. It's probably just there. So I keep reading, and I'm like, well, maybe I'm just trying to look for things that aren't there. And I keep reading, and I get to verse 4. And I read that on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. And I'm like, are you serious? On the third day? I'm one of those guys that doesn't think that the details in the Bible are there by accident or that God just threw some things together. I believe everything is there for a reason, and that when it's there, it's to point to something greater. And I read this like on the third day. So wait a second. God told Abraham, go sacrifice your son. So for three days, Abraham is thinking, my son's going to die. For three days, 
My son is going to die. And on the third day, not the fourth day, not the fifth day, not the sixth day, not the seventh day. On the third day, Abraham lifts his eyes to the place he's going to go sacrifice Isaac. And and again, I'm like, well, isn't there something in the New Testament that talks about this guy named Jesus? And then there's somewhere in the New Testament that talks about this guy named Jesus who, though he was dead for three days, rose on the third day. But again, maybe I'm one of those crazy people that tries to make things out of the Bible that aren't there. So I, so I keep reading, I keep reading, and I get to verse 6. They're, I mean, they're here. I'm not making this up. You can read. And it says, And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son. And I'm thinking, and I'm like, wait a second. Didn't, didn't Jesus bear the cross that he would go and die on? Didn't he walk up a mountain carrying that cross? And I'm like, is this pointing to something? But maybe again, I'm, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe I'm just reading something into it. So I get to verse 7. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. He said, behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. And so I'm like, man, is this something? Isn't there somewhere in the New Testament that says... Jesus is called the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. And I'm like, I thought so. And I, but I'm like, well, let me, let me keep reading. Because maybe this will get better and give me some more clarity. And then I get to verse 13 and it says, And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it as a burnt offering instead of his son. And I'm like, wait a second. Wait a second, doesn't it say somewhere in the Bible that though we are sinful and we deserve to die, God sent Christ instead of us? And Christ died for us? Isn't that somewhere in the New Testament? And I'm starting to get these pictures in my head and I'm starting to like see the connections and I'm like, this is not an accident. I'm not reading anything into this. This has got to be clearly here. And I get to verse 14 and it says, So Abraham called the name of that place the Lord will provide as it is said to this day. As it is said to this day. On the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. And I think back to the New Testament again and I said, Isn't there a mountain called Calvary where Christ went and died and the Lord provided the way for us to be with Him in heaven through the blood of Jesus Christ on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. Isn't that there? Maybe I'm reading something into it again. But I think it's there. And then, just the one that blew it away from me in verse 17. And your offspring shall possess the gate of His enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. And so we have this beautiful picture in verse 17. And in the culmination of Genesis 22, that Jesus will possess the gate of His enemies. He will destroy sin. And all the nations of the earth will be blessed. How? Through the one that destroys sin. And so about a couple weeks ago, I'm reading this and I'm just like, oh my gosh. Like... This Genesis chapter 22, it's about God being faithful to His promise in Isaac, but it's even more. It's about God being faithful to the initial promise in Genesis 3.15. And this whole chapter of Scripture is pointing. It's the, look, at, look at it. Like, how do you deny that? It's pointing to who? It's pointing to who will fulfill the promise in Genesis 3.15. And so I read it and I'm just like worshiping and I'm just, this is amazing. Genesis 22 is really all about 
the ultimate promise being reversed, the ultimate promise being fulfilled. It's really all about Jesus. And I've heard in my classes at seminary that the whole Bible is all about Jesus, and in every book of the Bible we can see hints of Jesus, and every story points to Jesus. And I'm like, there can be no greater story that points to Jesus than right here in Genesis 22. And so I'm blown away. And I ask you the same question that I ask myself when God makes a promise. If Genesis 22 is all we had, what could we say? We would have to say when God makes a promise, He is faithful to fulfill it each and every time, right? I feel like that's what we would have to say. Because if the ultimate promise is Genesis 3.15 and this is pointing to Jesus and we have the New Testament to read what Jesus did, what He accomplished on our behalf, then we see that the ultimate problem, the greatest promise that God could ever make was fulfilled in Christ. But Rachel just sang a song, right? And it said, Never once did we ever walk alone Never once did you leave us on our own. You are faithful. God, you are faithful. And maybe you're here today and you said, you know what? I see the importance of the promise in Genesis 3.15 being fulfilled. I get that. I see how had Christ not died, had He not been the sacrifice that I needed, that I would not have any way to get back to God. I see that the ultimate promise is fulfilled in Christ. Like, I see that. I believe that. But aren't there more promises in the Bible than just those two? Maybe you're saying, I've I've read the Bible my whole life. Or maybe you said, I just started reading the Bible last week and I read where God made promises and it wasn't these two. What do you do when you read these promises? We see that God was faithful to fulfill these two, but is He, is he faithful to fulfill others? Can I really trust in that God? When God makes a promise, He's faithful to fulfill it. But can we say each and every time? Because that's the question. And that's the question that you and I ask ourselves each and every day. And the way that we believe about the God of the promises ultimately shows what our faith is really about. I'm going to end with this story to answer that question. Can we really say that never once? That not just those two questions, not just those two promises were fulfilled, but can we really say that never once God has made a promise and not fulfilled it? About, let's see, about a month and a half ago, I went to visit one of my cousins. And she's a distant, she was a distant cousin, and we had really grown pretty close in the past few years. And she had been diagnosed with cancer about three and a half years ago. Well, I went to her and I went to visit with her. And Rachel came with me and we were visiting with her. And it was a really sweet time. And if you would have met her, you would have been like blown away by her faith and by who she was. And her confidence in this God. And her confidence in the promises that this God Makes You would have been blown away. And it would have absolutely blown your mind the faith that she had. Terminal cancer when I went to visit her. I went to visit her and she was on hospice. 
And I met with her, and I sat with her, and I was visiting with her. And before I went, I really felt like God had laid a verse of Scripture on my heart to really encourage her with and really talk to her about. And this verse of Scripture is so true, and it's so beautiful, and it is absolutely the culmination of everything that we're talking about today. And if you get this verse of Scripture, I absolutely believe that it will change your life. So I sit there with her, and we visit with her for a little while, and then... As we get ready to leave, I sit down, and I whisper in her ear a little bit, and I talk to her, and I say, Cindy, I've got something I want to share with you. And I say, I've got this verse of Scripture that I feel like God's really laid on my heart to tell you. And guess what happened? I start saying the verse of Scripture, and she finishes it. She finishes it. And this verse of Scripture was not John 3.16. It was not one of the ones that maybe you know. But it really is the most important verse of Scripture in my mind. Especially if you're talking about the promises of God. And you want to know what that verse of Scripture is? That verse of Scripture is 2 Corinthians 1, verse 20. And it says, For all the promises of God in Him, in Christ, are yes and in Christ, amen, to the glory of God. And so, she helps me finish that verse, and basically what she was saying is, I believe the God of the promises. I've read this book. I believe that when God makes a promise, He is faithful to fulfill it. I've got to believe that. I can read Genesis 22. I can read every verse of Scripture in this Bible. I've got to believe that. But what she was also saying is, I've read where God says He's a healer. I've read where God says He will heal me. I've got to believe that He can. I've got to believe that He will. But even if He doesn't, I find my healing in Christ. I find my healing there. All the promises of God are yes and amen in Christ. And she had that confidence. She believed that when God said He was a healer, that He could heal her. She believed that He would. But even if He didn't, she had faith in the God of the promises. And this verse says that all the promises of God, not just some of them, not just 315, all of the promises of God are in Him. Yes and amen to the glory of God. Of God. So about two and a half weeks later, Cindy died. She died. But I guarantee you, if she was here today, I guarantee you, if Abraham was here today, they would stand right here and they would say, that's right. All the promises of God are yes and amen in Christ. I don't have cancer anymore. Every promise in this book is yes and amen in Christ. Because every time we see a promise and when God makes a promise, we can say with confidence that He is faithful to fulfill it. Not just in Isaac's life, 
Not just with the ultimate promise in Genesis 3.15, but every single promise that God makes, He is faithful to fulfill. Why does that matter? It matters because if God makes a promise and He's not faithful to fulfill it, then this whole Christianity thing doesn't make any sense. But this book says that He's faithful to fulfill it each and every time. If God says He promises to win your battles, let Him fight them for you. If He promises to hear and answer your prayers, by all means, pray to that God. If He promises to be found, if you seek Him, seek after Him. If He promises to be your strength when you are weak, then be weak and let Him be your strength. If He promises that He will always be with you, rest in that assurance. If He promises to be a healer, know that He can, that He will heal you. If He promises to forgive you of your sins if you ask Him to, ask Him to forgive you of your sins and He will. He's faithful to fulfill it. If He promises fulfillment in this life in Christ, don't run to all the other things that the world says to find fulfillment. Run to Christ. And if He promises that you will be with Him in heaven if you place your faith in Christ. Why would you not do that? If we've seen throughout this book that He is faithful to fulfill His promises, why would you not trust in God, the God of the promises, to faithfully fulfill each and every one, including the biggest promise of all, that those who place their trust in Christ will be with Him? forever. Why not? Because when God makes a promise, He is faithful to fulfill it each and every time in Christ. You either believe that or you don't. I'm banking my life on it. A lot of you are banking your life on it. My cousin Cindy banked her life on it. Abraham banked his life on it. And I know a lot of you have banked your life on it. So what then must we do? How do we respond to this God who is the God of promises? This God who makes these promises and clearly throughout Scripture He fulfills each and every one of them. And especially, they're each and every one fulfilled in Christ. How do we respond? We respond by doing exactly what Abraham did in Genesis 22, verse 13. Lift your eyes and look to the Lamb. Look to Jesus and believe on these promises. Let's pray.